0: This month's episode of Practical Significance is brought to you by the National Alliance of the Humble. We, the leadership of the National Alliance of the Humble, chose to promote our simple society on the Practical Significance podcast for two reasons. First, from its modest beginnings two and a half years ago, the podcast has remained humble despite its wild popularity, attracting dozens of listeners every month. But second, and most important, we have a message we think will resonate with statisticians and data scientists. The message is just this, it's okay to be uncertain. In fact, it is desirable to be uncertain, because uncertainty most accurately describes our lives. It takes humility to acknowledge that we don't know everything, and much of what we think we know comes with some uncertainty. You folks are perfect candidates for membership because the nature of gleaning insights from data, the job that statisticians and data scientists do, is at its essence an exercise in trying to grasp how certain or uncertain our conclusions are. There is no point in promoting our society to certain groups. Humble politicians, are you kidding me? Sports fans, that's a nope. They are certain they are right, but... Practical Significance podcast listeners have made their peace with uncertainty in their work. So listeners, join us. By definition, we can't say we'd be proud to have you in the National Alliance of the Humble. So let's just say we'd be glad if you joined. To become a member, go to our website, wwwmaybe maybe notorg And now, let's join the podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Practical Significance, a podcast to inspire listeners with compelling stories from statistics and data science and to propel data-driven careers forward. Here are your hosts, the ASA's Director of Strategic Initiatives, Donna Lalone and Executive Director, Ron Wasserstein. Well, welcome everyone to Practical Significance. It's a little bit hard to believe that we are recording the July podcast. 2023 is flying by, but we have a really special um, podcast for you today because we have as our guests two folks who have been instrumental in helping us establish our new caucus for industry representatives. And we're going to talk about the caucus and some other, of course, interesting topics. And so today we have Ginger and Armajot. and we're going to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your day job and introduce yourselves before we jump into caucus conversation. So Ginger, I'll start with you. Great. Thanks for having us uh, today.
2: So yeah, I am Ginger Holt. I am the technical lead in the infrastructure data science team at Databricks. And for those of you unfamiliar with Databricks, it's a data and AI software company, and our mission is to really help organizations make all their data ready for analytics, You know, empower data science and data-driven decisions across your organization, and be able to rapidly adopt uh, machine learning. And we really just want to level the playing field so everyone has access to the same quality of ML and AI analytics as big tech companies do, along with all the hardware and software infrastructure. So within infrastructure data science specifically, we are informing the design and build of our operational infrastructure uh, to have industry-leading efficiency, reliability, and scalability of our products.
1: Thanks, Ginger. And Armjad, over to you to introduce yourself and tell us about your day job.
3: Hi, thanks for having me. As you know, my name is Amarjot Kar and uh, I work for Merck Research Labs and uh, I'm in the late development statistics group where I head the respiratory and immunology therapeutic area. And uh, as part of my job, I think we get to do a lot of research uh, via clinical trials to help patients, right, who are suffering from many different and sometimes very life-debilitating kind of diseases. My role is to be involved in the design of the clinical trials, as well as the analysis and interpretation of them. And from day-to-day job, I have to wear various hats during the, say, on a typical day, I probably go to various meetings where sometimes we have a very technical discussion with statisticians and on the other hand sometimes go into meetings where we have totally strategic and planning kind of discussions and Also, uh, as part of my role, I I also sometimes have to be a cheerleader for my teams and to also focus on the development and uh, to make sure that everybody is growing in their roles and doing the best as we can
0: uh, as a team. Thanks for those introductions. And I'm just sitting here thinking, Donna, that these people are way too busy to be talking to the likes of us. Let's go ahead and start with you, Ginger, with regards to the Caucus of Industry Reps. Can you tell us a bit about the goals of that organization?
2: So the ASA thinks that uh, members in academia and government are are well supported. There's a lot of structure and venues for that. But we wanted something more specific for industry statisticians and data scientists. So we created the ASA um, Caucus of Industry uh, Representatives, and it's really to provide a venue and structure to address the unique uh, challenges for industry statisticians and and data scientists. Um, so some of these examples, you know, we're really here to promote. The profession of statistics and data science in the private and public sectors and then assist, uh, you know, companies employing those members, right, in industry. And we want to provide a venue for discussion of uh, unique issues for industrial um, data scientists and, and statisticians. Facilitate interaction between uh, both the private sector and public sector, different industries, different verticals, sorry, within industry as a whole. You know, we're data scientists, so we, we like to collect data, identify and collect data that are helpful to our employers and to industry in general. And then we also just want to meet as a group, right? So have a yearly meeting, you know, yearly workshops, focusing on specific challenges. You know, LLMs is one, one example that may require a lot of input from, from this group in the future.
0: Thanks, Ginger. So Armjot, you've had a lot of different leadership roles within the ASA. What excited you about this one, about being part of the executive committee for the caucus of industry Reps?
3: Like uh, Ginger mentioned, I mean, just the goals of this caucus, I think uh, I identify with all of them. I mean, having uh, worked in various uh, ASA committees or sections or other places, I, I think this this is an opportunity, I think, for ASA also to have two-way communication, all right, with the caucus uh, representatives and, and hear about any issues for which uh, ASA might be able to help provide resources and it could be part of future initiatives, right? So, so I think it's it's a win-win situation for this caucus. And and I know that there has always been, uh, you know, emphasis or, or some kind of at least the desire to, to help all sections, you know, of the membership of ASA, whether it's industry or academia or government. And there have been some sections and uh, like, for example, biofarm section, but that's just the biofarm section right so this this I think caucus is much more uh, broader and which like brings under the umbrella all the public and private uh, uh, sector and so on so I think this this is a, a good opportunity to create two-way communication of ASA with the representatives from a broader group of industry so I think that that excites me and I think it's a structured approach uh, which is sustainable and I think would be good uh, eventually for both sides.
1: Ginger and Armajat. One of the things that I've enjoyed um, about the meetings with the uh, executive committee and actually the town hall meeting that, as well, that you hosted was to hear more about what folks view as the most significant challenges facing industry statisticians and data scientists, and you know recognizing that that's a lot of different people um, in lots of different sectors, but. Would love to hear from you a little bit about what you think are the most significant challenges, and maybe Armijad, I'll start with you, and then go to Ginger.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we are in a like data revolution in that time period, right? There's so much of data, and there's with data, we have both opportunity and challenge. And I think what the one thing is that for us to be prepared, right, to synthesize this large amount of information in a meaningful way. I mean, there's you can always do a lot of things with large data, but the question is, are we answering the right questions, right? Are we understanding what we are doing? So I, th- I think that preparedness and that awareness that, uh, uh, of synthesizing all this, I mean, it's an opportunity because there's a lot of information and to make a decision, robust decision-making, I think it's important to incorporate all that information right, in, in our decision-making, in our analysis. Uh, But how best to do it in a meaningful way, I think, continues to be something I think we need to uh, pay attention to so that we are not lost uh, in the translation, but also just being aware of the fundamentals of of the analysis and and so on. So I think that's one challenge. I think we need to be very conscious of. And also, I think the automation is great. Uh, Automation of tools uh, that a lot of people can just press a button and get the answer But in the process, I just sometimes worry if we lose, you know, what exactly we are getting out of these uh, automated tools is something I think to be aware of and make sure that we don't lose sight on that.
1: Ginger, what do you think about the challenges?
2: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with Armajat. You know, I've been working in forecasting uh, basically my whole career in many different domains. And I think kind of the themes that I will also apply not just a forecasting, but kind of any subdiscipline within statistics or machine learning. So kind of what I'll Talk about there can be applicable there as well, but you know, in forecasting, the the fundamental challenges are really the same everywhere. I think forecasting is pretty ubiquitous. And for context, I was in academia for a few years, but otherwise, I've been mostly at very large companies like BP, HP, Walmart, Facebook, uh, now Databricks. But you know, kind of all these places, really, you know, we needed unified forecast across the company. So, you know, standardized data sets, standardized methodologies, you know, having one source of truth for um, all decision makers, whether that be in finance, sales, marketing, um, whatever, making forecasts consistent across granularities. You know, when you compare forecasts at different levels, making sure that they add up are consistent. You know, we want uh, as much accuracy as possible without overfitting. Um, We want explainability to the answers we provide, right? So we can make actionable decisions and then scaling, you know, Amrjat mentioned tooling a lot. Um, You know, we want to scale the forecasting process or any process by uh, building generalizable tooling there. And Donna mentioned this town hall we had a few weeks ago now, but you know, we did collect some data there uh, for the participants and we found that, you know, kind of we're targeting professionals as well as students uh, for this caucus. And so, the data uh, collected during that meeting, we found that professionals really are interested in increasing collaborations across industries. So I think having these discussions and and sharing knowledge across uh, biomedical and financial manufacturing, all these different sectors would be very useful. And then just knowledge sharing amongst the community of industry data scientists and statisticians. So that was a major thing. And then also Continuing education of technical skills, as we know, you know, just like in the past six months, like the amount of growth in LLM capabilities that we've seen. There's just a, such a need for you know people to learn and, and learn more about uh, what's been happening. And then students as well. So students are really interested in learning more about career paths and journeys of statisticians and data scientists like among different industries and kind of crossover, right? Being in one field and then moving over to you know more of a, a data science role um, from a non-technical role. So I think people are very interested in that. Um, so the Caucus is going to be focusing on these issues, right, and uh, looking for ways to provide additional support to our our community. I'm anticipating a question around LLM, so I'll I'll expand on significant challenges in that domain uh, in a little bit.
0: Well, here comes that question. You can't get around discussions of uh, (laughs) chat GPT and large language models. They're everywhere. I was um, earlier this week, I was at a, a conference on Risks and Opportunities for Artificial Intelligence in Biopharmaceutical Medicine. It's being talked about everywhere. In fact, um, Emmerzat, you mentioned asking the right questions. And at lunch at that conference, a colleague was telling us that the chat GPT was able to tell him how he could have asked better questions, which I thought was both awesome and creepy at the same time, which... Maybe sums up how I feel about large language models right now. But in any case, for both of you, and let's, Ginger, let's just start with you. What are your thoughts about these models and what changes do you see on the horizon as a result?
2: Yeah, well, fortunately, yeah, I mean, I'm at Databricks, so we have a lot of customers using our platform, right, to do AI. So we actually just recently published a report on the status of data and AI in 2023. I think that's the name of the report. But you know i think we can safely say that we are in the golden golden age of of data and ai right so we believe that ai is really going to usher in uh, the next generation of product and and software innovation so And we're already seeing this playing out in the market. So we have, you know, this report was published based on uh, data from about 9,000 of our customers. And so kind of three main takeaways from that report. The first one is that companies are adopting uh, machine learning and NLP, LLMs at a rapid pace. So NLP is really dominating those use cases with an accelerated focus on LLMs specifically. Uh, The second thing is that really open source is winning in today's uh, data and AI market. So um, eight out of 10 of our most widely adopted data and AI products are based on open source. So I think that's good to know. And I don't know if you've seen, there's a lot of like leaderboards out there ranking, you know, different LLM products and, you know, they rank them on accuracy and kind of categorize them based on, open source or not open source, and then if they're allowed for commercial use or not. And so if you look at those leaderboards, basically the biggest takeaway is that open source is catching up really quickly. And so companies are really seeing uh, the benefit of keeping their data private, not like giving their data to OpenAI or other LLMs and training their own models based on their specific use cases, their own data, and their domain. So kind of that's what we're seeing. And then challenge, I think the biggest challenge here is the hallucination issue. You know, AI is sociopathic, right? It can lie to your face without feeling bad. Uh, So we really need to figure out how to prevent this from happening. Um, And so people have been, right, actively researching this, right? You know, improving the diversity of your training data, eliminating inherent biases that may be present, developing better regularization um, techniques you know, employing adversarial training and reinforcement uh, learning, things like that. So I think that's be a big problem to solve before, you know, we have more reliability. But I think definitely it's going to change the way we work and add a lot of, you know, efficiency and um, to,
3: to what we do. So
0: thanks, Ginger. Amershot, what are you thinking?
3: Yeah, I think Ginger, you know, gave a nice um uh, opportunities and, and the challenges in this, you know. So I, I, I would agree with you, uh, Ron. Like what you said, it's both exciting and scary, uh, and sometimes creepy too. Ro. So, but definitely, I mean, there are values to using these AI tools. I mean, I can see in our drug development, uh, for example, in the discovery phase um, of identifying what molecules to take forward and so on. And, and that's that's a huge uh, undertaking, right? So AI and machine learning, those kind of tools could be useful to kind of finding the most promising candidates um, in a more precise and efficient way. So definitely there are a lot of other applications where, where you can see the, the value of it. And I think the challenging part is, of course, is there because there has to be a human kind of element to it whatever is coming out of AI right it can it have the hallucination effect like ginger mentioned and, and it could give answers could be totally wrong right so you just can just rely on it like that just just because it uh, you know came based on a lot of information so so one parallel I always think of it like navigation system in our cars right I mean it's extremely useful tool right I mean uh, we are so much dependent on it these days but at the same time, I mean you also have to look at the signs on this roads, right? Sometimes the navigation, if you don't pay any attention to it, just follow that, you may just fall off the cliff or get into some ocean, right? So so therefore I think it's in, in a similar way. I mean, that's it's I think a lot of unknowns here in this. I mean, a lot of if you look at the news or read about it, I mean, some people are really worried about it, where it is going and, and what's gonna happen, right? Because of the unknowns associated with it. But again, I mean, opportunities are there as well. So I think maybe that's how the things move forward, right? There's always a hesitation, but hopefully there would be some kind of boundaries around which that people can function and make the best of
0: it. Thanks. Um, Thinking about the GPS for a moment, I was cruising through the northern part of New York City, going through the Bronx on my way back from this conference, and it gets really confusing there. At one point, the GPS basically seemed to suggest that I was just on my own for a few minutes and good luck. It would help me out again when it could. So I was thankful for the actual signs. So Amrzat let me come back to you uh, and then we'll swing over to Ginger with this question, which is basically about career advice. One of the things we love to do on the Practical Significance podcast is get our guests to share experiences and advice for our listeners. So what, what would you say is your best career advice, Amrzat?
3: Stay curious, right? Uh, stay curious and be adaptable to change because things are changing. I mean, it's, life is never a straight line, right? So, and also I think, like I said earlier, before jumping into finding solutions or analytical solutions, first try to understand the question right What is it that we are trying to answer and how best we can answer it doesn't always have to be so complicated right so that the curiosity and adaptability i think is is important and I think what also is important is the ownership of what we do, whatever task is assigned, no matter what kind of task it is at any level, right we should own it in a way that when we are working on it, we should think beyond what, what the ask is, because I think as statisticians and data scientists, we are the one closest to the data. And the way we can kind of find unexpected things through the data is, is something we should pay attention to that, right? So I try to see what more we can do to make, um, you know, the whole process efficient and find solutions uh, from that data. And then I, my advice to everyone is to s- s- volunteer and stay professionally active in various uh, statistical roles with ASA or other organizations. Because to me, I think personally, that that has been a very fulfilling part of my career. And, and I think that's something is helped to develop and diversify your worldview. So those are a few of my advices.
0: Thanks, Amarjad. Uh Ginger, uh, what kind of advice would you have?
2: Yeah, I mean, I echo a couple of things that Amrjat said around, you know, being adaptable to change, right? I mean, I think applying that to your career, I would say take a, a model predictive control type of approach of, right, like planning a career for the for long term and then, letting, you know, three to six months pass and then doing another pass, right? Like based on the new information you have, uh, how am I going to iterate that, right? Based on my new interests, based on new developments in the field, new knowledge that you may have. So being intentional about setting a timeline in order to do that iteration on, on career planning, have a policy of like having, you know, research heroes, right? That you follow on Google Scholar, and then you kind of you know, keep up to date with advancements. And then also it helps, you know, thinking about these people, right? About keeping your standards high, uh, imagining those people looking over your shoulder as you're doing your work and like delivering analysis, right? It's like, what, what would they think of this work? Staying active in conferences is another thing to just keep learning. That would be my advice.
0: Thanks. That's great advice from both of you. I was just thinking as you were talking about this, that I guess I'm realizing that maybe I'm just getting to the point in life where I'm completing the training set and about ready to work on the test set. We'll see how that goes and I'll report back.
1: I love the idea of research heroes. That is really great. And the notion of them looking over your shoulder, but Armijat, I have to, to say that I've been thinking a lot about how you engage in what you do and how you value what you do in the grand scheme of things. And so I love your advice on owning, right? Feeling like you own your job and so that you have that sort of obligation to do your best. This has just been fantastic. So I say at the end of the podcast that we always like to ask, but in fair disclosure, it's probably Donna really likes to add to the podcast listening and music and reading list. So love to hear from both of you what's on your to-be-read list, your playlist, what you're watching, any and all of the above, and Ginger, I'll start with you.
2: Okay, cool. I'll kind of nerd down a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I recently caught up basically on the whole causal inference topic. So I read causal inference for statistics, social and biomedical sciences. And having a statistical background, right, I found it very well written, very easy to understand and uh, just genius in its simplicity, because the authors really derived the whole notion from fundamental statistics that I already knew. So I would recommend that. And then kind of on the personal front, you know, I have a five and six year old. So past really five years, I've been reading a lot of parenting and child development books, you know, just to try not to screw my kids up so much. Um <laughs> But, you know, I continue to be interested in in brain development of children, like as they age, right? How much logic they have, you know, what they can understand. And I found that pretty interesting. And then in general, the the books that I like to read uh, are about data analysis and applied economics, leadership, and then organizational psychology, and especially books that kind of combine those topics together. I just really find those very interesting to read.
1: You know, Ginger, I'm actually, it's making me think that we need to start a caucus of industry uh, representatives reading group. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, and so that would be so much fun. But Armajat, what's on your listening, reading, watching uh, lists?
3: Well, my list is not as nerdy as Ginger's because (laughs) I read, I think, mostly the newspaper and the New York Times. I try to um, get through the op-eds of that. And then I think on Tuesdays, I look forward to the Science Times and the food section is is another important. uh, I have a lot of cuttings from there. I think during the COVID time, our library started this virtual book reading club, and that uh, my husband and I joined. And that forced me to read all these fictional books, which I realized how interesting they were, because a lot of work of fiction was actually based on some reality, right? Uh, And then, of course, the author makes it, uh, you know, takes it wherever they want to take it, but they do some research. And I think one of that, uh, which I really enjoyed was A Gentleman in Moscow. That was a book, I think very well written. It was literally, I mean, literary point of view, very nice. And it takes back to, you know, a lot of history uh, of Russian revolution and so on. But it's an interesting part of the book was it happens all in a hotel. Very interesting. And more recently, I, I, I read Midnight Library, uh, which I also I enjoyed a lot. I, I think usually now I, I don't get so much time to read big, thick books, but my husband is an avid reader. and And then he kind of gives me, okay, this is the book you will like and he makes sure that I read it so so which is good yeah I mean I enjoy reading a lot but I think mostly day-to-day it's the newspaper
1: well Armijad I just have to share with you that I am also a New York Times fan and I actually still get the Times in print on Sundays and that makes Sundays worthwhile (laughs) and so um, yeah
3: yeah yeah. I I I, we get it every day in print
1: I succumb to this sort of digital version on Monday through Saturday, but there is something just wonderful about holding the book review in my hands. Well, this has been super fascinating and wonderful to have a chance to talk with you. And I will let our listeners know that we will put a link for the application for the Caucus of Industry Reps. And we have a a microsite that we are growing. We'll put that in the show notes. Now for another practical significance tradition, I will turn it over to Ron for his top 10.
0: Thank you, Donna. JSM is just around the corner, and some of you may be thinking about the t-shirt you would like to rock at JSM. Statisticians should always have a nice fit, yes? The Practical Significance podcast is always ready to help, so we bring you suggestions for what slogans you could flex at JSM. All these ideas come from folks who responded to a tweet from me asking for suggestions. Thanks to Felicity, Venkat, Seth, Lisa, Aaron Cable, and Eric for the items chosen here. And thanks to all who tweeted ideas for the top 10 statistics and data science t-shirt slogans. Number 10, keep calm and be significant. Number nine, with great power comes significant responsibility. Number eight, data is my superpower, what's yours? Number seven, yes, I know you hated your stats class in college. Number six, what's your research question? Number five, I'm consistent, I'm efficient, and I'm almost sure. Number four, are you ready? Number three, found the problem, it's mu. Number two, a data scientist is a machine for turning coffee into models. And the number one statistics and data science t-shirt slogan, T equals 0.051. Thanks again to all who contributed t-shirt slogan ideas. Next month, I will share with you the top 10 rejected t-shirt slogans. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at the joint statistical meetings. We'll continue the conversation on this podcast next month.
1: Thank you for listening to this edition of Practical Significance, the podcast of the American Statistical Association. A new episode will be coming your way next month from Amstat News, the ASA's monthly membership magazine.